Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I was thinking this morning that I can't, or I can barely remember a time when I didn't, wasn't aware of Tina Turner. Uh, I, I sort of don't have a clear idea of when she actually came into my consciousness because she seemed such a fact of life, even in the early 60s, those records that she made with uh, with Ike, which were only kind of, middling R&B hits in the United States still seem to be the kind of thing that British R&B bands covered in the mid-60s. Things like, I think it's going to work out fine. Those those kind of ballads. I seem to remember Steve Winwood doing those in the mid-60s. And so it was very fashionable in the mid-60s to, to drop the names of American R&B performers um, like Inez and Charlie Fox and people like that, Garnet Mims. Yeah. And Ike and Tina Turner very much belonged in that little that little family of kind of mysterious names with whom you associated certain songs that British beat groups did. And then they would turn up on, on compilations on the Sioux label. You remember the Sioux label? That I do. Came out, came out through Ireland in the UK. And so that's where I first first really heard them. But then, obviously, there is River Deep Mountain High. So that's, what's that, 1966, isn't it? 1966 with Phil Spector. That's when I first heard them, I think. What a fantastic has, record. Has this idea for, for a song, which he'd done with Ellie Greenwich and uh, whoever else, I can't remember. Um, and thought that Tina Turner would be the perfect person to sing it because he'd seen her in a club. And so he went and started to do a deal with uh, Ike, which is obviously what you had to do. And so he made, trying to make it clear to Ike that he didn't require Ike on the record at all. In fact, 
he would kind of prefer it if Ike wasn't even there. Not, the not even in the room. Wasn't, <laughs> yeah, yeah. wasn't even there when the record was made. But Ike nonetheless did a deal that his name would be on the record, regardless of whether he was on the record or not, which is a kind of interesting syndrome in itself, isn't it? Yeah. And the thing I didn't realise until reading today, actually, was that was the re renaming of her. Obviously, her name was Anna Bullock. Um, but he was the one who, who named her Tina Turner. Yeah, and then copyrighted that. So, you know, I don't think I knew that either. I was just listening to something this morning which, which pointed that out because he, he named her Tina Turner, Turner after him, and then copyrighted the name so that if she left the group, as various other backing singers, lead singers had left before, he still owned the right to, to have another Tina Turner. There'd be somebody playing that part, which is unbelievably astute and cynical, really, isn't it? Profoundly cynical. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Ike, Ike Turner was not alone in his kind of generation of musicians being badly burned, and therefore his whole rest of his career was all about trying to control absolutely everything. Yeah. Even in the most in the most brutal fashion. But yes, he owned the name Tina Turner. And obviously also the other part of the act, which people kind of forget, was the I-Cats. And they weren't called the Tina-Ets, they were called the I-Cats, yeah. you know, which were the, the three um, backing singers, dancers. With those incredible routines, I was watching some of those last night too, all of which were, were executed wearing high heels. How and did they and manage that? And really tight dresses. Really tight dresses. It's astonishing. So they could only really move sideways because you know, the dresses didn't allow them to do anything yeah. more than that. And did you ever see the bits where they came on stage at the at the beginning of the act? So they would obviously form up in the wings in very close um, proximity, like a kind of like a madness nutty train, yeah, train. Only, only not nutty at all, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would shimmy on together at maximum velocity with kind of, um, you know, tassels and so forth, swinging back and forth. And the energy of the of the combined energy of the four of them, you know, Tina and the, and the three iCats was just amazing. And I think there were 15 iCats over the years. P.P. Arnold was an iCat. Uh, Claudia Linear was an iCat. You know, if you were fancy yourself as a kind of up-and-coming R&B singer, female in those days, you did your time in the iCats. Anyway, sorry, going back to River Deep Mountain High. So he wanted his name on it, but obviously Tina was the one that uh, Spectre wanted. He, you know, he had the idea. It's, I can't get over the idea that he played River Deep Mountain High for the first time to them on the guitar. How the hell do you do that? How do you possibly? Because you can only you can only just imagine it as this enormous production, can't you? This huge thing. It wouldn't work unplugged. You can't <laughs> imagine it at all. But anyway, he did the did the kind of um, you know he had the he had the musicians. Had Leon Russell played on it. You know all those kind of people played on it. The Wrecking Crew and so this massive sound, and then. Um, Got Tina in to do the vocal, and which took days because he was. This was in the days when you you did everything about 50, 60 times or whatever until you got the peak performance. Well, he but certainly you, did. But you can see why he he wanted her, you know, because she she had a unique 
vocal style. It, it strikes me, you know, that it it's kind of, it's not classic soul at all, really. You know, it's not massively melismatic or anything like that. It's just, it's more like, I don't know, it's more like Eartha Kitt or yeah, like Shirley Bassett. Yeah, but it, yeah. it's got a rasp to it. You know, it's got an yeah. edge to it. And she could... She could sell the drama of songs like like nobody, you know, you can imagine, and uh, which she did on River Deep Manor High, which he thought would, Spectre thought would be. It's his. true, she's got none of those old soul phrases that you associate with that kind of Sam Cooke tradition. No, it did. It's true. You can see why she moved into a kind of straight rock and roll world in the end. Well, you can see, I mean, it's, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of a trite, it's a bit of a trite cliche, you know, that, Today, she, the, the headlines, Queen of Rock and Roll. And, yeah, and she was never called the Queen of Rock and Roll, but it kind of fits in a sense yeah. because that was the tradition ultimately she was she was more identified with. So, you know, Riverdale Martin High comes out, is a big hit in Europe. I think it's number three in this country. I think it's number one in Holland or Spain. Um, and, but he's... Was it at number 88 in the United States or something? Which, uh, as far as Phil Spector's concerned, that's a catastrophic. Absolute disaster. Absolute disaster. And he, he kind of pretty much retires for two years. You know, he's, uh, um, he's so, so disappointed. Wounded by it. And they just kind of go back to doing what they do, you know, which is you just played. You played the Chitlin circuit and so forth. But... Um, I think the 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 next time it, it's really funny, you know, that listening to people talking yesterday about oh, I remember her comeback, and you think, well, which comeback really? <laughs> you know, because there all seem to be there seem to be so many. Or it, it was but there was like a low a, point, wasn't there, around about nineteen eighty three? Well, that's that's was, kind of later. But if you yeah. go, if you go back, you know, so you got. Your River Dean Manhigh comes out, does nothing really. But you know, there, there's still there's still great records being made when they were signed to the Loma label. That God, they made you know, Tell Him I'm Not Home and things like this. They did a sensational records, which were never really huge hits. They were kind of R and B hits. But then in the late sixties, um, and I, I I was getting the record out yesterday. I got this is I bought this in God, ninety seventy. Come together with Ike and Tina Turner and the Ike Cats. They do a uh, fantastic version of that. That's wonderful. Come together. They on this record, they do come together. They do Honky Tonk Woman, and they do I Want to Take You Higher, which is you know this Lion's Family Stone thing, which is obviously just after Woodstock. But it's classic Ike Turner that even though the standout tracks are Honky Tonk Women Come Together and I Want to Take You Higher, they're shoved towards the end of the running order so that so that their pride of place could be, uh, you know... An Ike Turner had, track. I tried Turner <laughs> to. You know, it ain't right loving to be loving. Too much woman for a hen-packed man. Unlucky creature, young and dumb, you know. All Ike Turner tunes. And then, and then you know, when she, she was doing these rock and roll songs... Um, you know, and they're kind of put later in the running order. But I suppose the turning point, and it's in that tradition, I think it's the record after that, actually. They did Proud Mary, you know, which again is going to rock and roll. Yes, on the, on the Ed Sullivan show, there was some big, uh, big, big performance of that that really changed things. Which, like if you've ever heard that, you know, it's, it's really strange kind of version in the sense that it starts off incredibly slowly. 
way slower than Credence's version. And then something gets absolutely manic halfway through it, so there's a kind of drama in the switching of it. John Fogarty uh, was tweeting his enormous gratitude last night, yeah, yeah. as he would. Yeah, and, and then round about the same time, they toured with the Rolling Stones, didn't they? That's right, the Rolling Stones in America. So that's the kind of get your yah-yahs out tour, isn't it? You know, yeah. that's 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 the that's the beginning of the Rock and Souls, uh, Rolling Stones, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest rock and roll band in the world. All that stuff. They were kind of part of that, and so you started seeing them on on TV. And um, the other thing that struck me. Thinking about her today is that is that we're, you know we're she's uh, very much associated with that kind of libidinous presentation you know that uh, you know what a saucy what a saucy presentation it was there was nothing like that in the sixties you know what I mean when she when she started being really overt overtly sexual on stage nobody else did that certainly no woman did that you know if you look at the if you look at the big, the big names, the big female vocal names of the uh, the '60s, you know, I don't know, Dusty Springfield, the you know, the Supremes, and so forth, they weren't like that at all. No, it was fairly prim. Fairly <laughs> prim. It was very, very didn't much. even flirt. No, yeah. absolutely. It's Where is she? Soul singer. She was a very, very different kind of thing, you know, and so that's what they were known for during the '70s for those extraordinary shows. But then, as you say, you know, she kind of, well, she, she obviously split up with uh, Ike Turner, which uh, left her in a incredibly parlous position. And then uh, there's another really interesting fact, which I, I'd only figured out this morning too, which is that at, at the low point, she was left with just two cars and the name Tina Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Which was the, we've talked about this so many times in the podcast, the name is so crucial. So she owned the right to carry on being Tina Turner, which of course I contested. And at that point, I think that the main figure who changed things was Roger Davis, the guy who managed her, was managing her right up till right up till now. Roger Davis, the one who saw her playing in little review shows in America, and she said, look, she wanted to get into the rock and roll circuit. And he could see that that would work and developed with her this idea of big rock and roll, hard-hitting theatrical show numbers 
and big soul balance. And that kind of, and had a really long view of what she was capable of doing involving movies because she did, she was then in the, well, the, the other change, turning point was BEF, wasn't it? it was Martin Well, Ray yeah, Ray I was going to say, because Incredible. Roger Davis, I mean, the thing, he was, he was the manager of Olivia Newton-John. He was, Olivia Newton-John, so not so that no, much not the, not the obvious, you know, no. although a lot of, Olivia Newton-John was a very big deal at that point. Um, but um, the, the story goes, so the, British Electric Foundation, being Ian Craig Marsh and Martin Ware, formerly of the Human League, want to make their record music of quality and distinction where they're going to have cover versions of, of old tunes done by supposedly kind of contemporary artists. You know, oh, But they were all people like Paul Jones and Bernie Nolan, weren't it's, they? And, it's got uh, Paula Yates on it. I Paula think. Yates is on it. Uh, That's right, yeah. But, but their plan was to have Ball of Confusion, which is the Temptation song, and it's going to be done by James Brown. And James Brown has kind of agreed to do this. And then quite late in the day, his manager gets on the phone and says, okay, this version of Ball of Confusion, okay, we want not just the, the 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 royalties from James's version of Ball of Confusion, we want the royalties from all the other records, <laughs> all the other versions, all the other cover versions which are on this album. And so they obviously had to say no. And so they're then casting around, who, who could they possibly get to do it? And at that point, Tina Turner is just a name suggested. And, uh, and so they get her in. And... The story goes that it's at Abbey Road the, uh, when they record that. And uh, when she turns up in the studio with Roger Davis, Roger Davis says, where's the band? And they just point at the fairlight. <laughs> the little box in the corner. So that's the band. <laughs> and, you know, because it's a very different world. Uh, and they do Ball of Confusion. And then that, you know, later on it, you know, he, she's well, not not that much later on. She's signed to it's Capital, isn't it? EMI. And she made private. She made a record produced by Martin Ware, didn't she? Was Private Dancer. Well, I do. He only produced. I, th- I think if you look at Private Dancer, the, it's all different production teams all the way through. It's very much a a harbinger of a very different kind of record that many people would make in the eighties, which is gone are the days of making two albums a year. You know you usher in the era of making where you take, you know, 18 months to make a record pretty much. Yeah. And you get, you, you cast around for their songs. You get people to bid to have their songs on the record. And then they're all, all the songs are produced by different production teams. So you get, I don't know, do Gallagher and Lyle do one of the songs on there? I think Terry Britton is one of them. Mark Knopfler writes one of the songs. Uh, Martin Ware, well, the Heaven 17 right. team. The dance that, was written by Martin Offler, I think. Martin yeah. Offler. And they do 1984, the, the David Bowie song, which is produced by Martin Ware, uh, I think. Uh, but the person who oversees all this is a guy called John Carter, who's no longer with us. John Carter, an American A&R man, who really had the long-term vision of how to record, how to record it. And it took absolutely ages to make that record. But when it came out, it was... It was a huge success, and it was one of those things, you know, it's like it's around about the time of Michael Jackson and, you know, Thriller and all, and all, about, all of our records that go six deep, as they say, which means you can get six singles out of them and you keep on the chart for two years or whatever it was. 
Um, and that very much introduced her to a, a very, a very different audience, I suppose. And, it, and it's the video age, you know, and she was a, she was kind of a natural for the video age. And so that, that became well, watching a, that thing about the Pet Shop Boys we we're talking about in the last podcast and seeing them resurrect the career of Dusty Springfield just remind me that, that did happen occasionally, didn't it? You know, the same way with the Smiths and uh, and Sandy Shaw going back and finding these girl singers from the 60s or whatever and, and completely rebooting their careers. It's amazing. Well, nowhere more successfully than Tina Turner, clearly, nowhere more successfully because she just. You know, she was she was an ideal artist for a kind of fractured media landscape in that you could get her on everything. You could get her on kind of rock and roll radio. You could get her on relatively MOR. And you, you could, could get, get her on movies. Yeah, movies. All yeah. That. You could get her on the sofa on breakfast television. All all that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and it just struck me. I was looking at an old copy of Q magazine, which I dug up when we had her on the cover. And the hook there in 1988 was that we'd sent uh, Charles Shaw Murray to the Maracana Stadium in Rio. Do you remember that? No, right. Okay. And the, that was an important event because she played to 180,000 people, mm. which was at that time the world record for the largest audience ever assembled, the largest paying audience. And it just struck me that, and that was a fair. Was, the, the long farewell was the was the <laughs> was the was the headline because I, you know, she she I thought that was a good idea because she, you know, she'd announced that this was pretty much the, the, the her stepping down, wasn't it? This was 1988, but it is incredible to think that in a short space of time from 1983, when she was again barely known, yeah. or, or or her career was was absolutely kind of pant, flattened out. That she was breaking records and playing to 180,000 people, um, you know, five years later. It's astonishing, really. And then, of course, she was at Live Aid, wasn't she? Duetting with, with Mick um, Jagger. Yeah, with Mick, Mick Jagger. Jagger. Yeah, that's right. She was. Yeah. So she was incredibly prominent in, in, in every aspect of that. So she, you know, she, she's, she was the ultimate crossover in the 80s, I suppose, the most successful the most successful crossover, and then got associated with all this. I always think, I always think of her in, in uh, along with the emergence of what uh, I don't know. What do you call it? Awards music, you know, simply the best. We don't need another hero. All those kind of larger yeah. than life celebrations of uh, you know, those kind of arm waving songs. You know what I mean? That became. As if they, they had a kind of energy all of their own, those those songs, you know, people, people, you know, took them to their bosom, you know. And so she had the kind of songs that just got landed up on a radio station and computer and then never left. Never left. We're just there for absolutely four. There's another way that she's calibrated. Everything that was about her on the radio this morning would introduce her as being the winner of eight Grammy Awards and the oh, who of a, cares? Who cares? This, Honestly. The idea that this is the way you calibrate then, something no, because absolutely. of the number of Grammy Awards they won. I find that absolutely... It's like the word iconic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. If I had a pound for every time I'd heard the, the word iconic this morning, I'd have about 50 quid already it's just oh it's terrible yeah, yeah. And it seems so sad really I mean, you know that, that that she's being remembered for simply the best rather than river deep mountain high or not bush city limits or whatever but well, of course we, ha- we haven't even mentioned not bush city limits 
course, haven't even mentioned that. I'd, I'd even forgotten about that. So that's how 1972, isn't it? Yeah, what a song. Because yeah. that was a, a huge song. That was a big hit in the UK. And, uh, and that was one of those records that in the early 70s, you know, like we joke about, all you needed for a party in the early 70s was a Watney's Party 4 and a copy of Honky Tonk Women or substitute... the Embassy. Yeah. by City Limits did, Absolutely. did that job. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a party all on its own, you know. Uh, absolutely extraordinary. And, uh, you know, and, and then very successfully extended her own brand by, you know, getting behind the and pretty much sort of authoring the, the musical, the Tina musical, you know, which I think still runs in the West Wasn't End. It, didn't they interview somebody on the Today programme who's actually played the part, Tina Turner, I think, last night, during last night? Oh, they talked about what, how the audience had discovered in the intermission on their phones and going outside and finding news cameras outside. They discovered the news about it. Quite interesting, really. But yeah, it's still going. So that's been running in the West End for quite a long time. So, so I suppose that's going back to my favourite theme, which is it's all about hair in the end. There was kind of that was those are the wig years, weren't they? Really? Yeah. You know, it, it, that's the identification of Tina Turner in most people's minds. They see that wig and they think of Tina Turner. I think of a long-haired wig, actually. I think of the of the late sixties, early seventies, long-haired, straight, long-haired wig, uh, and uh, presumably the Iquettes were probably wearing. So it was nearly all a wig, so. wasn't it? Well, I wouldn't claim to know, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all. You know, uh, she was also one of those those rare examples of people who she was terrific looking when she was young, but she just got better and better looking. I think she looked fantastic. I think, yeah, middle age and later on. Yeah, but she was she was never not on brand, was she? You know, all the way all the way through her career. You know, if you saw it, can only be it can only be Tina Turner, or you know Annie Bullock, as we should probably more properly be remembering today. This podcast was brought to you by the Word. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.